0: All right, everyone is ready to start. <laughs> it's like, I want to hear about Mormons tonight. Let's be quiet. All right, so we get to talk about Mormons tonight. So uh, this will be, be a lot of fun. I do want to say a couple things, and while I'm talking about it, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. So how many of you have ever really looked into what Mormons believe? Okay. Okay there's a few okay um what i have found is that we could probably spend anywhere from probably two three months looking at all the craziness of mormonism uh it is by far one of the uh, craziest sci-fi um things that you could ever (laughs) imagine and so what's interesting about this as we kind of head into it is is i wanted to and i think it's appropriate that we hit mormonism just because well there's several different fronts and we're going to talk about that more at the end But I think when it comes to Mormonism, it is definitely an example of a cult that uses the terms Jesus, God, the Bible, and they talk as if they're Christians, and yet they could not be any farther from the truth. Uh, You will find as we work through this that they redefine many different things, Um, but I I think you're going to walk away from tonight and you're going to be a little shocked. You're going to be a little shocked about some of the things that they believe, Uh, Some of the things that they have purported to have changed over the years and even to the extent of how far their reach actually is and even what an integral part that they will play in the tribulation period under the leadership of the Antichrist. So we're going to talk about that. But what I wanted to hit before we pray is I wanted to talk about Galatians chapter one, because Galatians chapter one is a clear example when we look at Mormonism. I want you to keep these verses in mind as we go through some of these details on these pages we're going to cover tonight. But in Galatians 1, and we're going to start off in verse 6. Paul says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven... Preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. So what's amazing about this passage is that when it talks about a gospel, he says, which is not another. Because there is only one gospel. There's only one gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says even if an angel from heaven comes and preaches something else unto you, don't listen to what it has to say. Even if another man comes and preaches to you that something different than what you've heard, that's biblical, do not listen to what he has to say. And that is a very common trait among false religions and especially cults, but especially Mormonism. Because the root of Mormonism came directly from an angel. And we're going to talk about that tonight. So let's go ahead and pray. and We'll get into the details. Father... I pray that you would guide my mind, guide my mouth, guide my heart, and uh, help us to see the things that we need to see tonight. Uh, There are many things about false religions that we could get very easily lost and wrapped up in, but I want to always establish you and your word as the standard, because when we pour our hearts and minds into your word, and your word is poured into our hearts and minds, it makes it very, very easy to recognize falsehood. It makes it very easy for us to have the discernment needed to know what is true and what is not. And so, Lord, I pray that your word would be magnified tonight and that you would give us understanding and even give us insight into how things are going to play out in the future. So, Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to talk about Mormons. And so Mormons, if you've heard the term the Church of the Latter-day Saints or the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, We're going to spend our time talking about them tonight. So let's go ahead and just jump right into the paragraphs we have in front of us. Although there are many different offshoots from the Mormon Church, there are two main organizations. The first and largest of the two, which has 17 million worldwide, is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as the Mormons or the Utah Mormons. They were originally led by Brigham Young with their headquarters located in Salt Lake City, Utah. The second, approximately 300,000 worldwide, is the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with its headquarters in Independence, Missouri. Both groups are fiercely divided, one claiming originality over the other, of course. They say that they have major doctrinal differences, but they are few. Their theology is basically the same. The average active Mormon is usually marked by many sound and moral traits. They are generally amiable, almost always hospitable, and extremely devoted to family and to the teachings of their church. However, the great majority of Mormons are in almost total ignorance of the shady historical and theological sources of their religion. At times, they are openly shocked when the unglamorous and unchristian background of the Mormon church is revealed to them. This little-known facet of Mormonism is a side of the coin that innumerable Mormon historians have for years either hidden from their people or glossed over to suppress certain verifiable and damaging historical evidence. Compared to other false religions that redefine Christian and biblical terms, the Mormons are by far the worst, and and most Mormons are unaware that their definitions are perverted. If you engage in a conversation with a Mormon, They use the same words and terms we would, but have given them different or opposite meanings. A great example of this was I watched a guy who was in a discussion with a Mormon, and they were talking about how they trust in Jesus Christ as their savior. And that it's basically the same, like what's the difference between us? And the difference is, and you'll see this as we go through the details, which Jesus? Because the Jesus that they're trusting that they said died for their sins is not the Jesus of the Bible. When they say they're trusting God, the question is, which God? Because the God that they claim is not the God of the Bible. And it's very, very subtle, very subtle. And you have to really peel back lots of layers in order to get to the core of the differences. So let's start off by talking about the founders. The founders. Joseph Smith Jr. As the original founder of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he claimed to have encountered God the Father and Jesus Christ who commissioned him to restore the true church and the lost priesthood to the earth. He claimed an angel named Moroni showed him an ancient book which he translated using magical stones. In 1830, this book was published as the Book of Mormon. On April 6, 1830, he founded his new church and his followers became known as Mormons. He was a very controversial man who was known for known as a devious, aggressive, and determined con artist that was always looking for ways to make money. Everywhere he went, he stirred up trouble because of his anti-biblical lifestyle. He ran for the President of the United States, established a private army, built a well-planned city named Nauvoo, located in Illinois, elaborated his own theological belief structure, introduced new religious practices, and married over 49 women, at least 12 of whom had husbands already. He was ultimately arrested for his unlawful practices and on June 27, 1844, a lynch mob attacked the Carthage jail where he was held and he and his brother Hiram were murdered. His death provided his church with a martyr and created the transformation of an American folk religion into an international faith. Now, To give a little insight, look at this next quote of Joseph Smith. I have more to boast of than ever any man had. I am the only man that has ever been able to keep a whole church together since the days of Adam. A large majority of the whole have stood by me. Neither Paul, Peter, nor Jesus ever did it. I boast that no man ever did such a work as I. The followers of Jesus ran away from him. But the Latter-day Saints never ran away from me yet. When anyone is speaking anything close to that tone, I like to take 10 or 20,000 steps backwards and just wait for a lightning to strike. <laughs> that's dangerous. That is prideful. That is arrogant. That is not our Savior. And yet that's the mentality that this man had. And it also tells you how dangerous pride can be. And just as a side note, we always 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 need to be on the lookout for pride in our life always there are times where you're going to be in situations where you don't want to be humble but i'm telling you it is one of the best things that you can be practiced in even if that person doesn't deserve your humility i'm telling you it's it's good to be reminded of those things secondly brigham young brigham was the second leader of the church the utah mormons after the death of joseph smith he was originally ordained into the ministry as an apostle by Joseph Smith himself. Young led the exodus from Illinois to the Great Salt Lake Basin after the death of Smith. As the head leader and administrator of the saints, he instructed his followers in everything from doctrine, architecture, and agriculture to fashion and family relations. He ultimately became the governor of Utah of the Utah Territory and he used the immense power he possessed to establish some 350 communities and numerous economic ventures. And that is super sketchy as well, because the president at that time actually tried to remove him from being governor of Utah and sent in an army, and he actually amassed an army himself, and it turned into a giant debacle. And you can study it. The Mormons have covered that up for years, for years. And that's Brigham Young. And we're going to talk more about Brigham Young here in a little bit. Now let's talk about their authorities, their authorities. They use the Bible, and that is the proper way to say it. They use the Bible. They don't let the Bible use them. They use the Bible and they interpret it as it's translated by Mormon theologians. You can be in a discussion with a Mormon speaking the exact same verse and be on two completely different pages because they go based on what other people have said, other Mormon theologians, other people that have taught before them, other prophets and other apostles as well. The Book of Mormon, which they term another testament of Jesus Christ. And that within itself just tells you enough. It's just, it's another testament. Why do we need another? The Bible is sufficient. But they don't believe that. The Book of Mormon adds to, and even complements the Bible, and they try really hard. If you ever go to their website, you'll be able to see that. They actually have a little fun game that you can play. They have scripture in these little boxes with no references, and they say, guess which book this is from, the Bible or the Book of Mormon? Now, knowing the Bible, you'll be able to spot it out immediately. But most people don't have a clue. And it's just another way to try to deceive people to believe that what they are claiming is true. So the Book of Mormon is the story of the family lines of Jewish prophets that were warned of God to flee Jerusalem to avoid the catastrophic fall of Israel under the hand of Babylon. They were told by God to travel to a promised land, which would be the future Americas. And it explains the history of those families and the eventual appearance of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Jesus teaches the people, heals the sick, blesses the children and establishes his church, the Latter-day Saints. And the people live in peace for hundreds of years. It's crazy. They actually believe that before Israel fell underneath the hand of Babylon, that there were two families that left Jerusalem and traveled by boat to the Americas, and they spread and they did all these sorts of things, and they started to record their history on these golden plates, and that we'll come back to here in a minute. And as they did that, they knew that Jesus was born because of the signs in the sky, and they're like, oh, something must have happened. And then they knew when he died because the whole earth was overshadowed by clouds and everything was dark for a full 24 hours. And then when Jesus ascended, he went up and then he immediately came back down in the Americas. And that's when he preached unto people the gospel. And for hundreds of years, people were in peace until they began fighting again. And that's the summary of the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon has been proven to be scientifically, anthropologically, archaeologically, and historically inaccurate. It is a total and blatant fairy tale. It is a proven fact that the book is theologically contradicting to itself. These seem like harsh words to use, but basic investigation proves this book to be total fiction. Read the following excerpt from the book of Joseph Smith and Money Digging concerning how Joseph Smith received some revelation concerning the Book of Mormon. Smith put a magical seer stone into a hat, and then buried his face in the hat to exclude the light. Next, the words Reformed Egyptian, which no such language exists, magically appeared with their translation, And Joseph and Smith spoke the translation to a scribe who wrote it down. One of Smith's many wives, Emma Smith, confesses, In writing for your father, I frequently wrote day after day, he sitting with his face buried in his hat with a stone in it and dictating hour after hour. So this man was seeing something and definitely hearing something, but it was not from God, and that's what became the Book of Mormon. In addition, Smith claims that the angel Moroni gave him the location of gold plates containing ancient writings in which he later translated the Book of Mormon. The gold plates were never seen by anyone, nor do they exist today. Smith claimed the angel revisited him and took the plates back to God the Father. If he indeed did receive these plates and the visions, he certainly did not get them from God. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. As I dove into some of these details, there are many people that have the written account that Joseph Smith was actually not some crazy guy. Now, you would read some of the details and we would think that he's crazy, but most people are like, no, he was very sound, he was very sober, he had a very sound mind on these things. I tend, at least at this moment in my life, to believe that he actually did hear from some kind of entity. That he actually did hear or see some sort of an angel, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. And these things that happened probably did actually occur, which would lead into the Mormon religion. And I think that that happened this way on purpose. And we're going to get to that at the last part of tonight. But First John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So according to the scriptures, we should not be believing every spirit. If you have some sort of spiritual experience, the best thing that you can possibly do is you go to God's revealed word. And if God's word contradicts it, you do not believe what that thing says at all. I don't care what it is or where it came from. We would be better to just believe God's word and trust it over anything else that we can see or hear. We talked about this in our charismatic class as well, and we're going to be hitting them, I believe either next week or the week after. But here's the reality. If God's word is our final authority and something happens where you have a spiritual experience of some kind, no matter what it is, and you compare it to the Word of God, and it contradicts the Word of God, you know it's wrong. But if it complements the Word of God, or if it doesn't contradict the Word of God, well, then you're like, oh, well, this could be possibly right. But be careful, because think about this from this perspective. If God's Word already says it, and if God's Word already confirms it, then why do you need the experience? You don't. And the enemy is so good at what he does, He will give you enough truth for it to look right, sound right, and feel right. And he will play the long game in order to get you into a trap of deception. So we need to be careful. The Word of God is everything that we need. We don't need anything else. We don't need anything else. Nothing. And that can be hard sometimes. If you've ever spoken to an honest charismatic, that's hard. That is extremely difficult. If you've talked to Catholics that have spiritual experiences, it's very difficult. This is very difficult. When you're saying, you know what, I don't care what I see or saw or heard or will hear, I'm trusting in every word that's written. That is a huge step of faith. It is. Because what you see, I mean, think about it from this perspective, because I've I've thought a lot about this. Why in the world should we trust God's word alone? Okay, If you spend any time with anyone that does any sort of detective work or police work whatsoever, I remember talking to Andy about this and you're trying to get witness testimony. Do you realize how difficult it is to corroborate testimony? Because this person saw this and they experienced that. And then you go to somebody else and they saw it completely different and they heard different things and different people. And then that person and you go all around. You could get 20 different testimonies and none of it really align. And it's because you can't trust in your experiences. And any of you that I remember this, even with kids, like you can't trust even in your own memories sometimes because there's certain things that you experienced as a kid where you're like, oh, you know, that was so cool. And they're like, oh, that never happened. <laughs> this is actually what unfolded. And so God is so good to us to give us a written record that is objective and clear and black and white that cannot be misunderstood unless you go into it and rest the scriptures. That's the only way. But if you take the book as it stands the way that it's written, it is the most reliable source of information that you could ever behold and hold in your hands. And I am willing, I am willing to trust what God's book says over anything that I think or anything that I may understand. It's the boss and that's why it must be our final authority. But most people don't do that because they like how these things make them feel. Their truth is based upon how it makes them feel rather than what it actually says. And that's where you can get very, very dangerous. It can be very, very dangerous, and we need to be very, very careful. So that's the Book of Mormon. Thirdly, the Pearl of Great Price, and this is a selection of choice materials touching many significant aspects of the faith and doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. These items were produced by Joseph Smith Jr. and were published in the Church periodicals of his day. And then fourthly, they lean heavily upon doctrine, covenants and present Mormon prophet words and writings and they will go back to people's interpretations of the Bible rather than reading the word of God on their own on their own now let's get into doctrine there's a short video that I want to share with you but I want to work through this first because here's where it's going to start to get a little weird so if you brought your seatbelt, just buckle it up because it's going to get odd it's going to sound like something out of a Marvel movie So let's talk about the message, the message of salvation. Salvation and erasing the stain of sin comes by faith in Christ and baptism by immersion for the remission of sins and obedience to the teaching of the Mormon church and good works and keeping the commandments of God. So it's not through Christ alone. They would believe that Christ would eliminate the consequence of death, but it's your responsibility to keep your faith going. That you must do something in order to perfect yourself, to find yourself worthy for God's favor. It's just like the Catholics, or anybody else that believes in works-based salvation. It's the exact same thing. Here's what Brigham Young wrote. Some of our old traditions teach us that a man guilty of atrocious and murderous acts may savingly repent on the scaffold. And upon his execution, we'll hear the expression, Bless God, he has gone to heaven to be crowned in glory, Through the all-redeeming merits of Christ the Lord, this is all nonsense. Such a character will never see heaven. That's what Brigham Young Young believed. And if you try to explain examples like the thief on the cross, that's one great example, they would explain that away as well. Well, yes, he entered into paradise, but after he died, he would have had to gone through some, for lack of a better term, let's just throw out a Catholic term, purgatory, in order for his faith to be confirmed that it was legitimate before he could enter into godhood. And where would you get that? Well, that's the interpretations of other apostles and other, that's what they do. They just twist the scriptures and make it say things that it doesn't actually say. And here's what they believe. Now, here's where it starts to get weird. On a distant star named Kolob was a boy named Elohim who grew into manhood, followed the Mormon teachings perfectly, and eventually exalted to godhood. He ultimately became God the Father as we know him today. Through sexual relationships with his many wives, Elohim produced sons. Two of those sons are Lucifer and Jesus. Due to spirit beings existing everywhere, Elohim created earth and human bodies for these spirit beings to inhabit. Lucifer wanted humans to be forced to accept the spirit beings, but Jesus wanted the humans to freely choose to accept the spirit beings. Jesus' plan was favored and chosen. Lucifer became Satan and took others with him to foil Jesus' plan. That is legit. They actually believe that. That is not what the Bible says, but that is what they believe. They also believe that if a person will trust Jesus' plan, accept him, and be baptized in the Mormon church, follow all the Mormon teachings and ceremonies, he will be chosen to become a God like Jesus and Elohim after death. Once a God, he will call forth his wife or wives from their graves to eternal life as a goddess as a reward for being married to a faithful Mormon husband. He will then go with them to another part of the universe to create his own planet and potentially solar system like Elohim. Through sexual relations with his wife, wives, he will populate and be a god to this new world for eternity. His lineage can also follow in his steps to become gods and goddesses." That is 100% true. 100% true. And they do believe that. Mormonism is a great example of the complexity of cults and false religions. There are so many additional false doctrines that need to be created to answer logical questions and support the overall anti-biblical system. Mormonism is truly no different than Hinduism or any other pagan religion that has more than one God, polytheism. This is one of the false messages that false prophets claim. And there's more to be said on that. I want to get through the ordinances and then I want to show you this video. So what are the ordinances? How do you, how do you become right with God? How do you exalt yourself to Godhood within the Mormon religion? Well, first of all, it's through baptism. And they believe in baptism by immersion for the remission of sins. And they will go to Acts 2.38 as well. And we spent some time talking about that. They will use that as a proof text for that particular doctrine. It is for adults only, unless a child is old enough to make their own decision, and is followed by a laying on of hands to receive the Holy Ghost. The Lord's Supper is performed weekly. And then the baptism for the dead. And this is considered sacred. It is a proxy baptism by a living relative for their dead non-Mormon relative. This is necessary for the dead non-Mormon to have any chance of eternal life, but no chance of godhood exists for them. They will live in eternity as a sub-god. This is one of the reasons why they've done a lot of genealogical work in the past, because you will have family members that will come into the Mormon temple, and there's only so many temples that exist on the planet. There's like 411 now, I think. And you must go into this temple and you can be baptized as many times for relatives that have passed on before you. And if you are baptized for them, it erases their sin and now creates the possibility for them to be a sub-god in this new world that exists in the future. And they use crazy scriptures out of Corinthians in order to prove that, 1 Corinthians 15, and it is completely out of context. And then going along with the crazy god and goddesses stuff, you've got the celestial wedding, which is also considered very sacred. As a temple ceremony only, a Mormon can only participate if they are recommended by their local bishop. This Masonic-type ceremony marries the couple for eternity and assuring eternal life to the wife and giving the man assurance of future procreation when he becomes a god after death. This system is a faith plus works occult rituals to secure individual salvation. Not every Mormon will be able to participate in all these ordinances. So it creates a class of regular Mormons and a class of better heaven-bound Mormons. And that is 100% true. That's what it creates because there's some that may never get married. And if you don't get married, well, then what? You're a second-class Mormon. Marriage is huge because it goes in line with Elohim and how this whole thing started to begin with. So in summary, there's this short video. If you saw the video from last week, it was that wonderful production from the 1980s, which is weird even saying that. It's like... I don't know. Never mind. Okay, (laughs) but anyway, it's really, really good. And it really summarizes in a great fashion most of what I just explained and a little bit more.
1: Mormonism teaches that trillions of planets scattered throughout the cosmos are ruled by countless gods who once were human like us. They say that long ago on one of these planets to an unidentified God and one of his goddess wives, a spirit child named Elohim was conceived. This spirit child was later born to human parents who gave him a physical body. Through obedience to Mormon teaching and death and resurrection, he proved himself worthy and was elevated to godhood as his father before him. Mormons believe that Elohim is their heavenly father and that he lives with his many goddess wives on a planet near a mysterious star called Kola. Here, the God of Mormonism and His wives, through endless celestial sex, produced billions of spirit children. To decide their destiny, the head of the Mormon gods called a great heavenly council meeting. Both of Elohim's eldest sons were there, Lucifer and his brother Jesus. A plan was presented to build planet Earth where the spirit children would be sent to take on mortal bodies and learn good from evil. Lucifer stood and made his bid for becoming savior of this new world. Wanting the glory for himself, he planned to force everyone to become gods. Opposing the idea, the Mormon Jesus suggested giving man his freedom of choice, as on other planets. The vote that followed approved the proposal of the Mormon Jesus who would become savior of the planet Earth. Enraged, Lucifer cunningly convinced one-third of the spirits destined for Earth to fight with him in revolt. Thus, Lucifer became the devil and his followers the demons. Sent to this world, they would forever be denied bodies of flesh and bone. Those who remained neutral in the battle were cursed to be born with black skin. This is the Mormon explanation for the Negro race. The spirits that fought most valiantly against Lucifer would be born into Mormon families on planet Earth. These would be the lighter-skinned people, or white and delightsome, as the Book of Mormon describes them. Early Mormon prophets taught that Elohim and one of his goddess wives came to earth as Adam and Eve to start the human race. Thousands of years later, Elohim, in human form once again, journeyed to earth from the star starbase colon, this time to have sex with the Virgin Mary in order to provide Jesus with a physical body. After Jesus Christ grew to manhood, he took at least three wives, Mary, Martha, And mary magdalene through these wives the mormon jesus for whom joseph smith claimed direct descent supposedly fathered a number of children before he was crucified according to the book of mormon after his resurrection jesus came to the americas to preach to the indians who the mormons believe are really israelites thus the jesus of mormonism established his church in the americas as he had in Palestine. (laughs) By the year 421 A.D., the dark-skinned Indian Israelites known as Lamanites had destroyed all of the white Nephites in a number of great battles. The Nephites' records were supposedly written on golden plates and buried by Moroni, the last living Nephite in the hill Cumorah. 1,400 years later, a young treasure-seeker named Joseph Smith, who was known for his tall tales, claimed to have uncovered these same gold plates near his home in upstate New York. He is now honored by Mormons as a prophet, because he claimed to have had visions from the spirit world in which he was commanded to organize the Mormon Church, because all Christian creeds were an abomination. It was Joseph Smith who originated most of these peculiar doctrines, which millions today believe to be true. By maintaining a rigid code of financial and moral requirements and through performing secret temple rituals for themselves and the dead, the Latter-day Saints hope to prove their worthiness and thus become gods. The Mormons teach that everyone must stand at the final judgment before Joseph Smith, the Mormon Jesus, and Elohim. Those Mormons who were sealed in the eternal marriage ceremony expect to become polygamous gods in the celestial kingdom, rule over other planets, and spawn new families throughout eternity. The Mormons thank God for Joseph Smith, who claimed that he had done more for us than any other man, including Jesus Christ. The Mormons believe that he died as a martyr, shed his blood for us, so that we too, may become God's.
0: It's nuts. It is a white man's religion. I mean, when you really look at that, that is ridiculous. Now, I will give them some credit. They decided, you know, we should probably reverse that whole dark skin thing. And it was in 1978 when they reversed it. Because before that, they never evangelized anyone with dark skin, never, because they saw them as pre-incarnate spirits that were not on the good side of the heavenly battle. So why would we let them in to our temple and become gods? Why would we do that? That's what they believed. Now, today, they would say, oh, no, 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 that was reversed. Okay, well, I mean, you talk about the, the visions and the writings of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and these men that actually did believe that, were they, were they wrong? And if they're wrong about that, what else are they wrong about? It's crazy. It's crazy. But that's what they believe. That's what they believe. So what is the purpose of all this? So the purpose of all this is the expansion of the Mormon kingdom on earth and throughout the universe. If you spend any time at all, as we get into these next few points, you're going to start to see that they do a fantastic job of propagating and really substantially just... Their kingdom is, is just exploding. They are wildly successful. There are so many Mormons that are entrepreneurs and they make tons of money, tons of money. And a lot of it is because of this whole belief system of the Mormon religion. The structure. The structure is governmental and is hierarchical. The Mormon church is divided into territories made up of wards and stakes. Each ward is a collection of 500 to 1,000 people and presided over by a bishop with two counselors. Wards are consolidated into stakes and supervised by a stake president, two counselors, 12 high priests, also called a stake high council. At the end of 2022, there are over 315 temples, 17 million members, 3,534 stakes, 31,330 wards, and 411 missions. The various auxiliary groups form a powerful coalition for mutual assistance among Mormons. Now, they're officers. They have a president. With the president, they have apostles, they have high priests, quorum members to help make decisions, bishops, elders, and priests. The organization and general administration of the Mormon Church is directed by its general authorities. At the top is the first presidency assisted by a council of 12 apostles, the first quorum of the 70, and its presidency, a presiding bishopric and the patriarch of the church. All authority resides in the Mormon priesthood that are established under the titles Aaronic, the Lesser, and Melchizedek higher. And the Aaronic priesthood is nearly every active male Mormon 12 years of age and above. And if they are found worthy, they are ordained to the Melchizedek priesthood at age 18. And they encourage people to stay in it and just keep moving up in the ranks. Now, here's where it gets real interesting. The finances. They have mandatory tithes and other offerings. There are Mormons, and they have directly been quoted by saying this, that you, in order to be faithful, and to be found faithful in the sight of God, you must give an appropriate tithe. And some go even as far as to check your statements and records, your tax returns, to make sure you're actually tithing appropriately to the Mormon church. They're big on money. They have various business ventures owned by the Mormon church, or people within the Mormon church establishment. Companies such as JetBlue... SkyWest Airlines, Black & Decker, Marriott Hotels, and others. And they're a business owned by other Mormons. Have you ever heard the company VidAngel or VidAngel Productions? They have a new company now. They came out several years ago. See, here's the hard part. The things that the Mormons produce, I actually like because they're moral. They're moral people. VidAngel was a company that first started off by filtering out Sexual scenes in movies, profanity, and all that. And they had a huge copyright infringement from Hollywood and got taken to court and they had to change everything around. They had to change their entire business model. But that was amazing. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I could watch a questionable movie with my kids and all the bad stuff would be completely taken out. That's incredible. That was Mormons because they're moral people. It makes sense. Or if any of you are fans of what about dry bar comedy? I love dry bar comedy. If you've never seen dry bar comedy, look them up. They're heavy on Instagram and YouTube, but dry bar comedy, they have comedians that go on there all the time, and it is clean. Like, there's no cursing, there's no any of that kind of stuff, and I'm like, this is hilarious. So there are comics out there that don't have to be vulgar, but it's run by Mormons, and that's the rule. If you come in as a comic into the dry bar comedy club, and of course dry bar, there's no alcohol or anything, then you must follow certain standards to perform on our stage. And as a result, people love them, love them crazy. There's a lot of homesteading farms that are out there, owned by Mormons, and they're wildly successful And a lot of that because they want to give money back to the church. If they're giving money back to the Mormon church, then they are going to be found faithful in the sight of God, and that's their motivation behind it. Or this last one, they have significant returns from investments in top companies. They have billions invested in Microsoft, Apple, Intel, Amazon, Johnson and Johnson, Visa, face- Facebook and Meta, JP Morgan Chase, United Healthcare and more. Right now it is estimated that they have over 150 billion dollars in assets. 150 billion dollars and that's just estimated because they're not honest about their money. They're not transparent. They're super secretive about it. If you had heard, you can even look this up. I wish I had more time to get into it. But there was a 60 Minutes interview because there was a whistleblower that came out. He was a manager of some of their fund management company within the the Mormon church. And he was talking about how they were mismanaging their funds and all that. And this interviewer is meeting with, there's three bishops that actually control all the money and they know everything about it. So this lady sits down with one of this guy, one of these guys, one of the bishops. And she's like, you know, some have estimated that you have about $150 billion. And he just with a smirk on his face just says, yeah, some have estimated that. All I can say is that we have very substantial resources. They are in bed with a lot of people and a lot of companies. And their influence is very, very far-reaching. Very far-reaching. More than what you may even understand. There's no financial transparency with them, even with the members. And the other thing is, most Mormons, they don't care. They don't care. They just do not care at all. So this creates an atmosphere. The atmosphere is very social, it's very ritualistic, it has occult temple practices, and it's very, very controlling. Compared to the Mormon group, the reorganized church is much more liberal, and they do not practice the sacred ordinances, or they're not as controlling, but it creates that kind of an atmosphere. Their doctrine, overall, is polytheistic. They are sensual, they are carnal, they are anti-biblical, they are blasphemous, and it is definitely among the occult. Some of their false teachings, they deny the deity of Christ and teach that Jesus is Satan's brother, that Jesus was a created spirit, son of God, and that he was given a physical body just like all humans. And in the book of Mormon, Satan and Jesus contend for that privilege of taking on a body of flesh to become the Savior, the Redeemer, like we just saw. They deny the atonement of Christ for the complete forgiveness of sins. They deny the eternal existence of the one and only true God and teach that Elohim, God the Father, was once a sinful man. They deny that Satan is a fallen cherub and teach he is a God. They deny the virgin birth of Christ. They deny the authority of the Bible alone. And they also believe in speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, apostolic healing, signs and wonders. So you can totally see how that's going to go into play in the future. There's so many other things that they, that they believe. And their doctrine has a core that is very racist. So now let's talk about this. What does the Bible say? And there's one point I definitely want to camp out more on, but I want to talk about some things. What does the Bible say? Well, as we said in weeks past, the first two points are definitely worth repeating. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And what's very important, like I mentioned already, is which Jesus? Which Jesus? We do not believe in a Jesus that once was a man that exalted himself to God through his obedience to Mormon teachings. We do not believe that. We believe that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh and that he is the eternal God. Number two, the written preserved word of God is our final authority. We need nothing else. I already spent some time talking about that, but that is so important. Our faith and our trust is in what God has revealed. His book is supernatural. People that question it and think that it contradicts have no idea what they're talking about. They don't. Every single apparent contradiction in the Bible is totally solvable. A lot of times God puts things in there that appear like contradictions because people have bad, heart attitudes and they don't want to believe the Bible. But if you approach the Word of God with a believing, heart attitude, understanding that this is a miraculous book, God will teach you so many things. It all depends on your attitude. Thirdly, our Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal God manifest in the flesh and the creator and sustainer of all things. Turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. This one flies in the face of Mormons and is usually one of the passages that you'll probably find yourself, if you ever engage with a Mormon, that you'll find yourself going to because they do not believe the word of God as it's written. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That verse is abundantly clear that Jesus Christ is God, and there's no contradiction whatsoever. He was with him. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Now, when the Bible says all things, what does that mean? Wow, that's awesome. (laughs) See, this is what happens when you believe the Bible. It makes it very clear, and it makes it very simple. When the Bible says all things, it is all things. All things were made by Him. That is talking about the Word. All things were made by Him, and without Him, the Word, Jesus Christ, was not anything made that was made. So that means, and this would totally go against Mormon teachings, that Jesus created Lucifer. They would not believe that. Whatsoever, And yet the Word of God is very clear that Jesus Christ is the one that made everything. He made all things. All things. Hebrews 1 is another great one. I have that reference in your notes. But Hebrews 1 is another great one that everything is upheld by the Word of His power. Not only is Jesus Christ the creator of all things, but He holds everything together. 2 Peter 3 talks about there's coming a day in the future where God will stop, where Jesus will stop upholding all things by the Word of His power. And when that happens, everything will break down at the far molecular structure. And when that happens, it's going to be a wide-ranging nuclear reaction all across the entire universe, which is what Revelation 20 talks about. At the final judgment, where death and hell delivers up the dead that were in them, and it's the final judgment, it says that heaven and earth fled away and there was found no place for them. That's because Jesus stopped holding, upholding all things by the word of his power. They ceased to exist. Because he said, I'm done. I'm not holding it together anymore. Scientists have long agreed over the course of the last 15 to 20 years that they have no idea how atoms stick together. They have no idea. They know that it does. Some have even called it the God particle. That it just exists. It's just in there. And they have no idea. They know that it's there, but they don't know what holds it together. We do. It's Jesus Christ. Because the Word of God says that he upholds all things by the Word of his power. The Bible answers every question that we have, every single question. Our Lord, our Savior, is the eternal God, and he is the creator, and he is the sustainer of all things. And then probably the biggest thing, and I want to spend some more time on here, turn with me to Second Corinthians 11, and that is point number four, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Satan is a master deceiver that manipulates mankind to worship him as God while preaching and propagating another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. I am amazed after going through what Mormons believe about Elohim and about Jesus and about Lucifer becoming Satan and the spirit beings and the earth and all this stuff. It is the exact same thing that we will read right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Starting off in verse 1. Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with, a go- with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. All right, time out. So he immediately goes back to Genesis chapter 3. And he says, I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. What did he do? When you go back to Genesis 3, what did the enemy do? He changed the word of God by causing her to question it. He questions it first. Yea, have God said? It's amazing to me that the very first thing that we hear Satan say in the Bible, the recorded words of the devil, is yea, have God said? Positive. Positive. Yea, hath God said, did he actually say, ye shall not eat of the tree? Did he actually say that? Well, you know, he did say, okay, now he has her in the perfect position. Perfect position. And then he goes, oh, ye shall not surely die. What did God say? In the day ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. Oh, no, 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 no. You're not going to die. So he questions the word of God to cast doubt in your mind. So that way he can contradict the word of God. And so that way he can change it. And if he can change it, then he can do with you whatever he wants. And he says, God doth know in the day ye eat thereof, this is the changing, that ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Mormon much? Totally is. It to- you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when she saw the tree that it was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat and they fell. So through his subtlety, presenting something that was contrary to God as a positive and ye shall be as gods through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. It's the exact same thing. This Mormon playbook is straight from the devil. It is straight. Because it it sounds good. It feels good. It looks good. But it's not. Verse 4. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, we do not believe in the same Jesus as the Mormon religion. It's another Jesus, whom we have not preached. Or if ye receive another spirit, which which ye have not received. Mormons will constantly say that when they hear the Bible and the teachings of the Book of Mormon and hear about Joseph Smith, that there is, when they accept it, there is a spirit of peace that rests upon them. That's what Mormons have openly said. It's not the spirit that comes from God, which ye have not received, or another gospel, and that is the Mormon religion, which ye have not accepted. You might well bear with him. You might actually just go along with it. And here's where it really caps it off. Go down to verse 13. For such are false Apostles. They have apostles within their church that are absolutely false. It's one of their official positions within their church. Deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Moroni. It's all there. The Mormon religion is right here, almost word for word in 2 Corinthians 11. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness. Good things. They're moral people, very virtuous people, people that you would even look up to, whose end shall be according to their works. It's very deceitful, very, very deceitful. Satan is so good at what he does. Whenever I've gone through and I've studied out some of these details, it reminds me so much, so much of Genesis chapter six. Let's turn there. Genesis chapter 6. It's already gotten weird. Let's just keep it going. Genesis 6. Verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God, those are angelic beings that left their first estate, saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives, polygamy, of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. See what was going on here in Genesis 6, and there's so many Christians that are completely ignorant of this. You have the devil wanting to corrupt the seed of man because God made a promise in Genesis 3.15. In Genesis 3.15, God said, from the seed of the woman is going to come the Savior. And as the enemy of God what better way to stop the future Messiah coming than to corrupt the seed of man? So these sons of God came down unto the daughters of men and they procreated with them and created giants and other men of old, men of renown. I firmly believe that this is exactly where Greek and Roman mythology stories come from. Now, they've been romanticized, for sure. But when you study things like Zeus and Jupiter and all those guys, I mean... Talk about the filth. If you ever go back and you study mythology, it is carnal, sensual, Mormon-like. I mean, when I saw and I read and I studied what Mormons believe, it is pagan religion. It is mythology. It totally is. It is Genesis 6, where these sons of God, these gods, came unto daughters of men and procreated with them to create these demigods and these other creatures. And that is exactly what's going on here. And here's the crazy part. Crazy part. Luke 17. Turn over to Luke 17. Luke chapter 17. Luke 17, verse 20. 26 talking about the tribulation period, and in the latter days, this is what Jesus said. Verse 26, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. What was going on in the days of Noah? And it says they married wives and they were given in marriage. You compare that with Genesis 6, and I'll tell you exactly what was going on during that time. The sons of God came unto men, and they began teaching them some crazy, crazy things. And as a result, they took wives, and other men that had daughters were willingly giving their daughters unto these gods. You study Roman and Greek mythology, they did the exact same thing. It's all the same stories. All of it. All of it. And they gave them up to these guys. And Jesus just said, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Which means this is going to happen again. This is going to happen again. You think it's crazy, the things that have unfolded over the course of the last five years? What about all the crazy UFO stuff that's been happening? You think that's a coincidence? (laughs) Absolutely not absolutely not. It is all coming together. This story of Mormonism is exactly what the Antichrist is going to capitalize on. Because when the Antichrist actually shows up, actually shows up, it is going to be eerily similar to what happened in the days of Noah. And with him are going to be some of these sons of God. We live in a culture that has been so desensitized by superhero movies, it is ridiculous. If anyone shows up with any form of superhuman powers, do you think anyone's going to be surprised? Do you think that might actually be part of the plan? 100%. And your Bible has told you this for over a thousand years. I mean, that is insane. The book that we have is incredible. And yet we live in the most ignorant time in Christian history. No one knows their Bible. You think that's actually part of the strategy too? I do. I think it totally is. Get people to feel good in church Get away from the Bible and what it actually says and you can convince them of anything because the Antichrist is going to come in and he is going to have his way with anyone from any denomination across the planet. That's what's going to happen. When you start to really put all these things together, it is really freaky. But it makes me want to be faithful to the book. It makes me want to be faithful to God. And it makes me want to take advantage of opportunities to try to tell people the truth. Now, It might be a while before I get to a point like this, because I think I'm a psycho. But when you start to compare Scripture with Scripture, I mean, God can anoint your eyes with that You cannot get anywhere else. And if you step outside of your King James Bible, good luck trying to find and understand any of this stuff. That, I mean, that would take a whole other, like, set of six classes to go on about the amazing, the amazing book that we have in our King James Bible, as you compare scripture to scripture, there is no other version like it, none, none, just try, I mean just try and you won't, you will not be able to find the things that you'll be able to find, the truth you can find in your King James Bible. The Antichrist is going to take advantage, for sure, of religious structures such as the Roman Catholic Church, we've already talked about that, he's going to take advantage of religious institutions like the Mormons that have just tons of money, huge influence. I think that the money that they have raised and invested into some of the technological companies, it's not on purpose. They're advancing an agenda that they probably don't even know about. They probably don't even know about. But it is heavily influential. And the Antichrist and his sons of God are without a doubt going to use the Mormon Church and the people that are duped in the Mormon Church to follow him as the second coming of Christ. There's no doubt in my mind about it. No doubt. And so what does all this mean? You've got to have a heart for people. And you have to have a heart for the Word of God. There is no way you're going to be able to discern between good and evil, right and wrong, outside of the Scriptures. Things are going to get worse and worse and worse. And if you do not have a handle on God's book, you are going to be swept away like anybody else. The written Word of God is the only thing, it is the only anchor that we can assure ourselves to that will be able to carry us through any season, no matter what it is. I get worried for my kids. My wife and I talk about it in the future. I mean, so much has changed over the last 20, 30 years. Can you imagine what else is going to change in the next 20 to 30 years? And so how much more do we need to be investing in our children to know God, to love His Word, and to know what God has said to them. Because this is the only hope that they have. And here's the key. It can be scary and we can be afraid. but We don't have to be afraid. The Word of God is sufficient. It is sufficient. It is sufficient enough to carry them through. And they can be just as faithful, if not more. Because when things get bad, what an opportunity to stand out even more. And to take a stand. And to make a difference. Because as things change, people are going to have questions. We've already seen it. Since 2020, there's been so many people that have had some crazy questions that they would have never asked. Because the world around them fell to pieces. And we need to be paying attention. So we need to get in our book. If you haven't been discipled, you need to get discipled. If you need to get back into some kind of a routine with the Lord and get close to Him, then do it. At whatever cost. It's worth it. There is no one else on this planet that you should be closer to than our Lord. Spending time with Him daily. Hearing from Him. So that way you can discern the difference between what is good and what is evil. What is the good versus the better and the best? Because we need to be making the best decisions for our Lord and for our future generation. We must. We have to. Let's pray. Father, thank You for our time together in Your Word. I pray, God, that it would really light a fire inside of us to be faithful to You and to have a heart for people and to really do what You have commissioned us to do. Your Word is very clear that Things don't really end very well during the church age and we live in this time of Laodicea where people are more interested in their own lives and their own things and their own whatever rather than the needs of everybody else. Please help us to be different. I pray, God, that you would anoint our eyes and help us to see things the way that you see them so we can be as faithful as we possibly can. I really do not want to end my life failing on things that I could have avoided. And I need your help. For me to be able to see these things clearly. And that the waters would not be muddied in my heart and in my mind. And we all need that. And so we ask you for it tonight. And I pray that you'd help us to be faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.